Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. I'm running for Board of Education, and I've hired this choreographer to help me go after the Beyonce voters. So it's one, two, shoulder comes up on three, like somebody's grabbing you by the scruff, four, face slap, and then five, six, seven, totally with a booty. Huh, huh, huh. Okay, can we try that with music? Stop, stop, stop. You know what you look like? A big black garbage bag dancing around. A glad bag that begs so persistently for life that his fairy godmother said yes. Honey, that is just not what I showed you. It's just, it's a Board of Education campaign. Maybe we're carrying this a little too far. Up to you. Let the other side get all the Beyonce voters. Let's try the next segment. This is all with a pelvis. Right, back, left, front. Right, back, left, front. Reverse it now. Left, back, right, front. One, and two, and three, and a four. And with the music... Stop, stop. Ouch. That hurts me to watch. Thad Cochran's pelvis moves more than that. You know, maybe I should be working on my position about charter schools or Common Core. That is not what Beyonce voters care about. They want hot dancing to dope beats. And honey, right now you look like Regis Philbin trying to pick up his keys. I'm going to put this on hold, okay? I I think voters care more about substance. Fine with me, but League of Women Voters debate is Wednesday, and we want to be ready with twerking for that, right? Right. Today on the nose, Beyonce voters, ambivalence about fireworks, and a billionaire who says the poor are going to rise up with pitchforks. And now he's totally sewn up the Lawrence Welk voters. Colin McEnroe. I've actually locked up the Lawrence Welk voters. I mean, I actually have literally locked up the Lawrence Welk voters. It's the best, easiest way to keep track of them. And you just blow a few bubbles in there every once in a while. And they're pretty happy. Uh, all right. So uh, yeah, we sort of juggled the topics around a little bit today. First of all, I should introduce, tell you the people who's here, uh, who are here uh, from Trinity College, Professor Irene Papoulos, from Tungsus Community College, Professor Elizabeth Kiefer, and, Go, from, and from Trinity Cine Studio, uh, Professor uh, of all things wonderful up on the screen, James Hanley. So <laughs> So, um, yeah, so we had sort of a different topic lineup, and we were talking about different things, and you know, we had sort of dangled at one point this kind of odd little thing that um, was said on Fox News this week by a commentator, I guess that's what he is, uh, named Jesse Waters. Uh, and actually, you know, we, we, he was talking about Hillary Clinton's remarks in response to the Hobby Lobby decision and, and how she sort of affirmed reproductive rights at this forum she was at. And we actually have the clip here of uh, what uh, Jesse Waters uh, on a show called Outnumbered, where uh, just to put it in context, too, he's surrounded by other women, Fox women commentators. So I think there's four of them. Jesse's uh, the lone man. They're all wearing high heels. All All right. Let's hear that clip right now. Having access to contraception is not in the Constitution. She's dead wrong about that. And Hillary Clinton, I'm not surprised. This is her bread and butter. This is how she's going to try to win the White House. This is what she's going to go to. She needs the single ladies vote. I call them the the Beyonce voters, the single ladies. Obama won (laughs) single ladies by 76% last time, and they made up about a quarter of the electorate. Uh, You know, they, they depend on government. Because they're not depending on their husbands. They need things like contraception, health care, and they love to talk about equal pay. All right. So aside from this being kind of a stupid thing to say, Irene Pavoulis, <laughs> is, there, is there more to say than that that was a really stupid thing to say? Um, 
well, that's a good place to start. But yeah, <laughs> and I, I love the way the, the four women in their high heels are just going <laughs> in the background. <laughs> you know, that's there. Yeah, but I mean, I think, um, well, first of all, the idea that, you know, if you, if you don't depend on your husband, you have to depend on government. That those are the only two choices. And seeing the, the, these women as dependent is a, is, a ma is a function, I think, of the idea that, uh, of some kind of innate fear of, you know, women's sexuality, women's power, independent women, single ladies, you know. Um, so that's where I would start thinking about that. You know, and I think the comparison to Beyonce also is interesting. I mean, obviously, it's because of the song, but um, Beyonce is such an image of an independent woman who doesn't need anyone to take care of her, you know, and um, and who, who you know, is very sexual and very free with her sexuality, you know, and I think the fundamental thing, just like, you know, why would somebody have a religious objection to contraceptives in the first place, you know, it goes back to the idea that there's something really, really scary about women controlling their own sexuality. Elizabeth, you were saying much the same before we went on the air today. <laughs> well, I said it, set, it sets up this tension between the negative, um, the negative aspects of saying somebody's a Beyonce voter. I think it's 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 bringing up color, it's bringing up uh, uh, economic status in, in a bad way, and and the independence. You know, you don't want women to be independent because they're scary and they might make their own decisions. Uh, I, I said on the positive side, we could say that they are women who might vote their heart and might look at women's issues with some care, and uh, they're a big block of voters. So I think they, they are the, the Republicans might be trying to make them scary, uh, but I think that's because they're running scared from this particular because group, not scary. that they all vote. Exactly. Well, yeah, I think James is going to flesh that out a little bit. Before he does, let me just uh, put uh, a number out there. We won't be on this topic all that long because eh, there may not be all that much to say about it, although <laughs> there are some things to say about it. So if you are a Beyonce voter uh, or uh, or have some other peculiar reaction to this, uh, give us a call, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266, if you would prefer to ex uh, express yourself via Twitter. Uh, our tweet master and choreographer, choreographer Greg Hills in the house at WNPR Collins. So tweet at him and he will tweet right back at you. Um, so 860-275-7266 if you Beyonce voters want to call in. Uh, and James, uh, you were saying before we went on the air, yeah, usually when somebody's talking about something like that, they're talking about anxieties uh, that, that Fox itself may have. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like to have been in on the production meeting prior to this little show because, um, I I mean, I presume much of the time Fox is aiming at the rapidly diminishing angry white male vote um, and, uh, you know, of advanced years. But um, there's another thing there that I got this incredible impression, really, of this guy appears to be like the sort of 12-year-old who's trying to impress mommy and her friends in, you know, like like at home, you know, with his sort of strange off-the-wall pronouncement about something. And they're sort of giggling and sort of like, oh, they're kind of impressed about him. But then they sort of realize they're not sort of really understanding what's going on with him. It was like some weird theater piece, I think, that um, also, though, it does contain things that were written into his his little speech and written into the whole appearance that is really actually zeroing in on what the, I think, the reactionary right is really terrified about in the fall, which is that people are starting to realize there's a theme here about individual rights, about women's rights, about who exactly is going to come out and vote. 
And I must say that every week, this item included, there's a new reason why people should be angry about assaults on individual rights. And I say that, you know, I'm, there have been some positive things for gay men uh, gay, gay, uh, and lesbians uh, in terms of personal relationships. But I think the assault uh, that's implied by what this is saying about single women and the Beyonce voters and race, these are all triggers aimed at a certain group. And I think that it has a significance because of that, in spite of its apparently trivial nature. Yeah, it's also that the idea of the welfare, you know, people are yes. going to just want the handouts that, you know, so Beyonce voters are just going to expect the government to take care of them right. and give them give them our money, right. you know. Which Pu- is push, some bu- push some buttons and try and see if we can get back to that. You well, know, I think this is about the conversation. It, it, it is a bit about button pushing, although... I think also one of the things that goes on these days is um, a lot of these uh, outlets are kind of in their they're sort of trolling, right? They're sort of in the in the business of getting some re- saying something that right. will get a response. Yeah. I mean, that one that comment could have been worded a lot more artfully. It was about as bluntly expressed as it possibly could. And it's kind of similar to Ann Coulter, you know, going off on World Cup soccer and saying that it's you know a symbol of moral decay and it's this and it's that. I don't think she necessarily has any particular passionate feelings about that. And it's a she, sim- symbol of another kind of decay, right? She's troll, <laughs> but she's trolling for clicks right there. She's just yeah. she's trying, and and I think they're doing a little bit of that too. How can we express this in such a way as to make ourselves relevant? Because I'm sort of with Irene. I actually think Fox News, I mean, I don't really watch Fox News or MSNBC or any of those things, but you know, to, to whatever degree I'm aware of it, I think it's sort of better when they at least have a little bit more of a crossfire going on. You know, every once in a while, Megyn Kelly will kind of, you know, surprise you by taking on some conservative that she's interviewing and, and, and hit, hitting that person with, with harder questions. And that can be really interesting. And it just seemed on a show called Outnumbered for the four women to sit there as if, <laughs> as if there, were, there wasn't even one little part of that that they could break off and maybe object to or – I mean I think, James, that you're right that this was a play that was called you know, earlier in the day. Uh, I mean it was all just agreed. He's going to say that yeah. and but you're all going to sit there. But is an irony that uh, Beyonce was just chosen the most powerful female celebrity in the yeah. country, yeah. world, I don't know, universe? <laughs> well, yeah. She makes uh, – as uh, was pointed out by many people this week, she makes more money than her husband, Jay-Z, mm-hmm. who doesn't not make a lot of money. Uh, she made about, I think, $115 million last year. Um, and yeah, I mean, as Irene was saying too, her music has gotten increasingly um, – uh, about empowerment, although even if you go back to Destiny's Child, there's a lot of songs about empowerment. And and these days, her music, as I have one niece who sort of makes sure that once in a while I really pay attention to what Beyonce is saying. <laughs> and her music is very interesting these days about uh, and it's a very interesting conversation she's having with people about a lot of things, including just the overall messiness of life and trying to hold relationships together and, and, and trying to be a big person sometimes when the other person's being a small person. And, and, you know, I mean, you can get very distracted by the dancing and the outfits and forget that. There's actually kind – of, she's saying a lot of interesting stuff these days. Yeah. And also there was, you know, an article in the, on the front page of the New York Times today about de- the Democrats are cultivating single unmarried women as voters and be, because there is a lot of power and Beyonce is speaking to them or to us and there's a lot of power there for the Republicans to be afraid of. They, I mean his number was I think about right, about a quarter of the electorate. But they aren't really dependable about going to the polls. I mean, they're sort of up and down. I think they were out a lot in uh, in the last election cycle, but but they, but not necessarily. So you maybe don't want to, you know, wear a, wave a red flag in front of them. Let's grab a few calls here. Here's Pamela in uh, West Haven. Hi, Pamela. Oh, hi, Tom. How are you? Fine. 
Good. Um, I just really had comments to make, not really questions. It might open a few new points. Um, I know you didn't want to hang on the subject long, but I was really appalled by that recording. I don't even, I didn't even hear who that gentleman was. Um, I'm a Beyonce voter. I take that with pride. I mean, I always look at that song as, as a, you know, allegiance to my independence. I am a single mom, a single parent. I've been a single parent and woman since my daughter was a year and a half. I've never relied on the government for anything. Um, uh, worrying about pulling the single woman vote in, I think a lot of us showed up for the last election and it seems like we were duped a little bit as far as things changing. So I think we're going to become, we're going to be more educated voters this time around. So I don't think he has to worry about us being uh, fooled into voting just because somebody's saying they're going to do something for single women. And also that gentleman, since he was representing uh, the religious factor of the country, has to realize that he also is precluding and prohibiting many single women from coming to religion. Not that there's not many single women who are very spiritual and want to be religious, but he kind of just closed them out of church. I haven't been to church in a long time because I don't feel like I can walk into a church as a single mom. All right. Well, that may, that may be sort of, of a that may be a whole a whole different ball of wax that we're, <laughs> we're getting into here. Let me grab one or two more calls, and I want to uh, let the panel kind of wrap this up a little bit. We do have a lot of calls here. Here's, I, 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 don't, this, I wouldn't have expected this to generate so much phone traffic, but here it is. Uh, Denise in East Hampton. Go ahead. Hi, Colin. I want to say how much I enjoy your show. Um, it, it, it's, it's always great and stimulating to listen to you. But I did want to comment on the um, the Beyonce voter. I I just I laughed. I thought that this guy was just doing more damage to the Republicans that um, any any woman who knows anything about Beyonce would think. Ah, there's a bright entrepreneurial woman who has made a a large fortune doing what she does. And they don't know what they're talking about about this. They don't know what they're talking about a lot about a lot of other things. <laughs> and I'm just hoping that it drives the Beyonce women to the Democrats in the next election. Right on. Yeah, well, the sense when it has is that, the, that they already have them. Uh, our number, 860-275-7266. You can tweet us at WNPR. Let's hear from, let's hear from a contrarian here. We've got uh, Richard in Manchester up on the board. Hi, Richard. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I just had a couple of things that, that I would note as a listener who happens to perhaps disagree with what a lot of Beyonce voters would feel. First, I think the whole construct is is wrong. The Holly Hobby decision was not about forcing anyone's religious values on anybody. It was, in fact, uh, a very narrow case where when it's not for medical use, when it's ethically uh, in the minds of any medical ethicist, uh, possibly abortive, uh, then society should not be forced to pool the costs of funding anyone's contraception. Although you'd have to say society is going to be forced to pool the cost. In other words, this is going to get shifted over into you know, some kind of contraceptive gap uh, program uh, run by the federal government. Uh, so rather than the Hobby Lobby paying for it, 
um, you know, the taxpayer will pay directly for it. So well, the, the, the issue, again, I'll repeat, there's something like four specific contraceptives mentioned yeah. in the decision. But very specifically, in, in the decision, the decision, yeah. the decision explicitly, you know, Richard, out, Richard, you know, Richard, the, Richard the, 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 the decision explicitly says that the federal government can now provide those missing contraceptives. In other words, this decision doesn't take those contraceptives off the table in any way. It just takes it off Hobby Lobby's table, uh, and and it explicitly says the government can now it's provide these things. religious freedom yeah. of individuals, not for not those individuals forcing their construct onto others, their principles onto others. Right. All right. And, well, no, we get your point, and we really aren't really having a broad conversation about Hobby Lobby anyway, which we did on Monday. Uh, yeah, but you probably want to say something. Could, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not not about that, because but I think the thing that I'm thinking is that the what the first caller said she felt it was a point of pride that she's a Beyonce voter, and mm-hmm. that makes me think, you know, he, it, that's really going to backfire because I think I could see that that term really arising as a point of pride for a lot of people. You know, yeah, I'm a Beyonce voter, and I'm proud of it. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I'd like to hear Beyonce's response. I'm sure you will. Well, I mean, yes, I think that's going to be interesting. It, yes. it, it, there's also a, a sort of a linguistic issue about the nicknaming of women voters, which I think goes on a little bit more persistently than it does with men, right? Soccer, soccer moms, mom. everybody, you know, soccer moms, Beyonce voters. I mean, there are sort of male equivalents, kind of, but not really. I mean, six pack, Joe six pack. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, that, that kind of nicknaming, I, I don't know what yeah. it's all about. I mean, it sort of suggests somehow or other that, that women are more fungible uh, if you can just figure out what to say to them. Or we uh, vote in these, good, these yeah. solid packs, blocks that. And isn't Beyonce, she's married, right, to Jay-Z, yeah, yeah. so she's not a Beyonce voter. But I think there's something else <laughs> no. there, there's something else there too, which is that I think that these large media outlets like Fox are, uh, like Ann Coulter, are desperate to get coverage and to get uh, appearance on the, on the airwaves, to rise above the noise. And so any kind of epithet is useful in that form, and Beyonce voter is two words, it's, it creates an instant impression. We're talking about it. It comes out, uh, you know, Ann Coulter, by contrast, interestingly, picked on something that was so out there as to, you know, she was thinking, well, everybody's, uh, her publicist, I would say, is probably thinking, you know, well, she, everybody's thinking about the World Cup, so, hey, let's get her in on that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have an epithet associated with it, and it crashed and burned, and it just looked like, well, you know, desperate Ann is trying to get above the noise. And so I think that's what's going on with a lot of this stuff is, is, is the creation. Sometimes these things fly, and they can fly in unexpected directions. And I can quite see that Beyonce voter will become a positive thing in terms of people defending, like, okay, so what? You know, this is, the, the, this is what I believe in. And it's actually paying attention to something that's a huge neglected thing, which is the lives of independent individuals, women in this case, but the lives of independent individuals and people voting their interests which often doesn't happen. We get drowned out that the, the, there are huge lobbyists' cap- campaigns. There's the bought and paid for people in the Supreme Court who are, who are ruling for uh, corporations to be people, all of those things that drown us out. And this actually goes to that whole nature of the remaining power. Is there power for individuals, including women who have lives who are not you know, who are not buying into a male infrastructure that 
is there a space for those people to have a voice? So I think it opens up all sorts of interesting things in unexpected ways that Fox probably never planned on. Well, yeah. I, I think that's true. And uh, as Irene said, I mean, not only could it be a point of pride, it actually sounds kind of like fun. It doesn't sound like yeah. that much fun to be a soccer yeah. mom. That means you got a minivan and you, you, you wear mom jeans. Yeah, right. mom jeans exactly. <laughs> but being a Beyonce voter, well, actually, I'm going to give the last word to one of the nose panelists who's not here today. Teresa Kramer tweets, "I'm a Beyonce voter, but only because I wear a glittery onesie and a wig to the polls." All right. Uh, so that'll be in East Hartford. Uh, plan your election day accordingly. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a different topic. So uh, we're back. This is The Nose. Irene Vapoulos, James Hanley, and Elizabeth Kiefer are with us. And we're doing it. I just didn't, I didn't even point that out. We're doing it one day early because tomorrow's Independence Day. We'll be running a show we did about uh, a group of people, sometimes called little people, uh, although it's actually not even a term that uh, – there is no universally accepted term, but people who are really, really, really not very tall. Um, and it's a great show. We did this a while ago, but we're, uh, we're taking the day off. So um, here on the news today, our next topic, this is a, um, an, an essay in Politico, politico.com, that has been the number one um, most read essay for days and days and days, thousands and thousands of comments. It had over 6,000 comments the last time I looked, and that was a while ago. Um, it's by a guy named Nick Hanauer, who I had never heard before. He does it as a memo to his to my fellow zillionaires. He says, you probably don't know me, but like you, I am one of those one percenters, or actually .01 percenters, a proud and unapologetic capitalist. I have founded, co-founded, and funded more than 30 companies, uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, he also, uh, from, he says, from itsy-bitsy ones to giant ones like Amazon, for which I was the first non-family investor. Then I founded A. Quantive, an internet advertising company that was sold to Microsoft for $6.4 billion <laughs> in cash. My friends and I own a bank. I tell you all this to demonstrate that in many ways I'm no different from you, talking to those 0.01 percenters. Um, <laughs> Goes on to talk about the fact that he had two friends named Jeff. One of them was Bezos. Uh, he got to put money in way, way early, and uh, he made out very well. Um, but his point is, he says, if we don't do something to fix the glaring inequities in this economy, the pitch, pitchforks are going to come for us. No society can sustain this kind of rising inequality. In fact, there is no example in human history where wealth accumulated like this and the pitchforks didn't eventually come out. You show me a highly unequal society and I will show you a police state or an uprising. There are no counterexamples, none. It's not if, it's when. Uh, he goes on to sort of sketch out some of his ideas about this, he, and he seems, at least on the surface of things, very insistent about this pitchfork idea. He talks about uh, uprisings that, that have happened even recently, like the Arab Spring, and says, you know, you really don't get a lot of warning about this, so, so don't imagine that you're going to get a lot of warning about this. Uh, but then he goes on to talk about just sort of the much more kind of pedestrian arguments about the value of uh, uh, of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour and the notion that uh, when people make more money, when people in the middle class and lower middle class make more money, it's good for the economy because they have enough money to buy things, uh, which is also not a radical argument. <laughs> 
<laughs> but there's something about this piece that has grabbed people's attention, I, and I assume it, it is the pitchforks. And Irene, you had sort of an interesting, you made an interesting discovery as we, we got ready for this. Yeah, so as I, I was looking at it, um, I, I think his main point, too, is that, you know, very controversial among his fellow um, one per, point one percenters that uh, they shouldn't pay as much taxes to supposedly dr- create jobs because they're not the ones that are creating jobs. It's really that the job creation comes from below or co- it comes from the middle, not from above, you know. And so he had made that point before in a TED talk, apparently, and he wrote an op-ed um, you know, trying to express it, but he felt like he couldn't. He couldn't get much traction on his ideas. He couldn't. You know, the other the other billionaires, or as he says, zillionaires, didn't want to pay m- that much attention to it. So it was only when he said they're coming for us <laughs> with pitchforks that he thinks, you know, maybe that's going to get. Pe- and it it is. It's getting a lot of people's attention. And he says, you know, the revolution is going to come inevitably because of the inequality that we have, and it's going to come so fast that we're not even going to have time to get on our Gulf streams and fly to New Zealand. You know. And so that's, you know, strikes horror in every in, in their hearts. You know, maybe that'll get their attention. James, do you buy this argument? I mean, sometimes he sounds like James Hanley talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I without I, the money, I, obviously. Well, I totally think. Yeah. I mean, I, it's an illusion. I mean, if you have uh, a, a knowledge of history, I mean, where do, where in history, in human history, does inequality like that continue? I mean, at some point there will be a correction. The question is how it happens. Will it be a sudden violent correction or will it be some sort of financial crash that brings it on? I mean, I think certainly he's very – what he wrote was to me absolutely on the mark. I mean, I think I just came back from a trip to Europe where uh, amazingly places where people are reasonably rich, they they still believe that they should pay for infrastructure. They should pay – uh, more money in taxes because it's good for everybody to have bridges that don't fall down or buses that arrive on time. That This is something that they still have a perception about. We, on the other hand, and many people around the world, these extremely rich people, do everything they can. They buy political influence so that they don't have to pay for things. It's kind of like the syndrome of, you know, being 65 and saying, well, I'm not going to pay for education. Uh, you know, I don't have kids anymore, so why should I pay for it? It, it it sooner or later will crash and burn. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. The question is how, and the question is whether people will wake up to it. But there's an extraordinary um, sort of icy ignoring of this going on amongst people who have money and who have influence. I can think, I mean, maybe, um, you know, some there, there are one or two people around the edges saying something about it. But this is the first time I've heard it stated so clearly and so unavoidably. Elizabeth? Well, my first reaction to this was, is he single? I want to marry him and fly around in his, in his Gulfstream V and give away all of his money. He does uh, mention to, a male partner. I wasn't sure what kind of partner that was. So that, okay, that might, yeah. uh, might not work. But, uh, <laughs> but my, my next thought was, he's using a different psychology than, than Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. let's say. Warren Buffett is trying to appeal to morality. This is the right thing to do. And I find even with my students, sometimes (laughs) fear works a little better than saying this would be great for you. Sometimes it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but sometimes fear. And I think fear might motivate more people to do something. But my third reaction to this was, what is he doing? He never says in the article what his personal plan is. 
these billionaires talk to other billionaires and say, we should all be doing, okay, but what is his plan? What is he going to well, do? Well, the taxes, I mean, he was sort of op, you know, saying that he should pay higher taxes, they should pay higher taxes. So that's a big one. And it's ho- so hard to imagine. But that with people, that kind of money, he himself could do. Oh, you mean that he could actually with philanthropy and everything? Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I think well, he's making two different, yeah, go ahead, James. I was going to say, I mean, okay, so for him, for example, what about making a statement about inheritance taxes? I mean, inheritance taxes with these gigantic fortunes, to me, inheritance taxes are making a statement about how bad it is for for large fortunes to progress forward to uh, families in such quantity and without any uh, measurable amount going to the public good, which actually the public good is what made it possible for these people to earn all this money. That that it, it, he could they didn't actually, build that well, <laughs> right. So I mean, he could make a statement about that. I I would take much more from that article if he actually came out and said that. I mean, Warren Buffett has said some important things about this, but where is the action about this? Where is nailing Where's some of the, the politicians in Washington and saying, look, this has to change. Something has to happen because it's totally immoral and unfair, and we're creating a society which will explode. We we don't have a lot of time to take calls, but we will take some calls. 860-275-7266, about Nicholas Hanauer and his uh, his now famous Pitchforks uh, essay. I mean, I, I read this guy as a, I mean, I think he makes a lot of good points, but I think also like a lot of people in his position, he's a little bit of an egotist. I think one reason he doesn't talk about the inheritance taxes because Buffett has talked so much about that notion of pu- of the, the absurdity of pushing huge for, uh, fortunes forward into subsequent generations and talked about basically, you know, how much his own kids are getting and not getting and all that kind of stuff. They're not kids anymore. But anyway, um, but I think Hanauer really wants to say something that nobody else is saying. I think that's sort of his goal. And 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 I agree with Irene. I think he added the pitchforks because when he said this in, in a less inflammatory way in the past, he didn't get anybody's attention. Um, I think the point that he wants to make is, you know, and he talks about Henry Ford, who famously said that, that all of his workers should make enough money so that they could buy a Ford. Um, and 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 his his more substantive argument is simply that he calls it middle out economics as opposed to trickle down. He says trickle down doesn't work. Middle out works if you get money into the hands of people who really are in a position to and have a desire to spend more money because they don't really have a lot of the basics. They don't even they can't buy flowers on Mother's Day. They you know he just lists all these things. If you get money to them, they spend that money. There's a ricochet effect through the economy, uh, and, and it's good for everybody. See, so he's sort of, you know... He's, he's being philosophical, but what, is he leading by example? One thing he said that I just loved was, um, I wasn't a very good student. I'm kind of a mediocre guy. You know, if I ha- he was just in the right place at the right time by knowing Jeff Bezos. And so he's sort of acknowledging the things that I think so many people in the bubble don't acknowledge, that he's just like the rest of us except for some luck. And well, he says if, the, if he were born in if, the Sudan yeah. or someplace like that or in the Congo, uh, he'd be standing barefoot by the side of the road selling fruit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's sort of sacrilegious for the bubble because, wait a minute, if we're just like everybody else, you know, maybe we have – I don't know. It seems – this could – maybe wouldn't it be great if it just – if people said, oh, my gosh – Create jobs from the middle. Let's do it. You know, and he does have enough power that he could do it. So it does seem self-serving in a way because he's getting now everyone, more people, many more people know his name than did before. But but isn't he a little different bubble than some of the other part of the bubble? I mean, he's not old money. No, he's the he's he's, new, he's, he's the nouveau riche. Riche. Zillionaire. And the nouveau riche has got a different. It could possibly have a different mindset than old money. 
Um, let me grab one call here. We got a few calls coming in. This is Thomas in Unionville. I don't think it's Thomas Piketty, but uh, <laughs> that would obviously fit into the conversation we're having right now. What's hi, Thomas. Doing in Unionville? Yeah. Hi, Uni- hi, Unionville. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just uh, on the topic of Nick Hanauer, um, I just wanted to bring your guests and your audience attention to a documentary that he was in. I think it was last year called Inequality for All, which was. Uh, mainly uh, focusing on uh, Robert Reich, the former Secretary mm-hmm. of Labor under Clinton. And it talks a lot about, um, I think, uh, a lot of the conceptual ideas that uh, Hanauer talks about in his piece in Politico in terms of having a more redistributive uh, or tax structure you know, on people, his income tax. I think he mentions that, uh, at least in the film, that he paid, I think, uh, 11 or 12 percent uh, taxes and, you know, brought in $40 million. So uh, it was called Inequality for All, um, and at least to my knowledge, it is still on Netflix. All right. Thanks Thank for that. Uh, that's like an endorsement, which we will have at the end of the show. Uh, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Bill uh, tweets, uh, Hanauer talks about social justice uh, in a documentary on the 2008 collapse in the middle class. I don't think that's the same documentary, though. I think uh, I think is that the Charlie Ferguson one? Maybe anyway. Uh, let me see if we have time. You know, I think we should switch topics here. We should switch topics. Move on to um, uh, to fireworks. To we're, a very important topic. We're, we're, well, you know, I, <laughs> there's, here's the link: responses to triumphalism. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, Nick Hanauer is sort of saying, "Wow, there's there's a different way of actually." Here, here's David. I'm going to take David. Uh, uh, I was sort of waiting to see him get cleared up on the board. I'm going to throw him on the air here too. Hi, David. Oh, hello. Yeah, I'm calling about the capital gains tax, and I was wondering uh, what you thought about restoring that to the Reagan levels, and would that help mitigate these budgetary problems that we have now? Um, Well, none of us are uh, uh, experts on economy and taxation, but I think, James, uh, we understand his point, which is – that there's a lot of money that uh, there's a lot of money that just sort of changes hands and doesn't get taxed. Well, that's one of the most basic things about whether you tax work. At the same way, at the same rate, you tax capital gains, and I, I think it's absurd that people could sit by and 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 simply see their bank account double and triple and quadruple, and the taxation gets lower and lower. Whereas people, working people, are paying a, 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 the same rate of tax or more tax, and they're having to pay more fees. They're getting things taken away from them, benefits taken away. Things are getting harder for that sector of society. So I think that that's a basic unfairness. Capital gains is huge. I think that that inheritance is huge. And there has to be some sort of equalization of that process of of transfer of money, and it's not happening now. All right. Now we are going to switch gears uh, to a different response to triumphalism, uh, and that's fireworks. So, you know, I mean, most of us do kind of enjoy fireworks uh, starting tomorrow and stretching all the way through for days and days and days. Actually, I actually think Hartford's— Weeks. Yeah, weeks. Uh, Hartford's uh, celebration won't be until, I think, a week from Friday or a week from Saturday. Um, but uh, so these uh, professionally conducted fireworks uh, demonstrations go on everywhere. Most of us kind of enjoy them, but we sort of heard from or, or discovered a few people uh, who don't like them that much. Troy Patterson, uh, a critic who writes for Slate.com, uh, says, even if you manage to avoid actually looking at their meaningless nonsense, which is essentially the same nonsense, show after show, year after year, their noise will disturb what should have been a pleasant 
present lack of consciousness? Do we not have the unalienable right to be left alone? Uh, he says a professional fireworks display is an exercise in pomposity, aggression, triumphalism, and hubris, uh, on and on about that. Mm -hmm. But Kayon also kind of uh, alerted us to a blog uh, done by a former Afghanistan veteran, uh, a woman who, who I read a few of her other posts. I read her post from last year about it, too, where she talks about how she used to like the 4th of July. Now, um, after Afghanistan, she says it's different. Uh, it isn't a big and dramatic thing, not in the way that people joke about, not in the way I see it shown on TVs or movies. It's this tightness, this constant awareness, a hypervigilance that sets in that I hardly notice until I do. It's the way I'm suddenly only thinking about Afghanistan again. It doesn't become a huge thing until I can actually smell it. I can smell the phosphorus or the gunpowder, and then it's a problem, and then I'm not okay. Um, she talks about, in several different posts, about dreading fireworks displays, wishing maybe she could even go far away uh, up to Canada or someplace where there wasn't going to be a fireworks display. I hadn't really thought about that group of people. So, um, and her name is Sarah, Sarah Ayer, I'm being told. Um, so um, what do we think about this? You're a sentimentalist, I'm right? I'm a sentimentalist, and I loved the op-ed piece today that Frank Harris wrote in The Current. Mm -hmm. It was entitled, Fireworks Release a Shower of Memories, and I just want to take a couple of sentences out of it. One of them, he said, there's a quiet peace amid the explosion of sound and color that takes us back to places and times and people we once knew. And he also said, it's memories, memories of people we were once with, places we once were, a time we once lived. And uh, as this is my first Fourth of July without parents, uh, my mother died and my father died quite a while ago. And um, it really just brings me back to going to Millwoods Park in, in Wethersfield and, and it just being such an exciting night to sit on a blanket and look up at it, this amazing display. James, I'm assuming you have sort of a multinational perspective on all this. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, when I was a kid uh, in England, uh, we almost never had big professional firework displays. However, kids would buy fireworks for something called Guy Fawkes Day in November, November 5th. Um, and you would go to a store and buy fireworks. And uh, I mean, looking at a, it now. A holiday not without its own subjects, we might have. Well, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it, and I had a kind of nostalgia for that, thinking of how I used to look forward to sort of, you know, like you weren't allowed to set them off until November 5th, and so you'd be buying them before. So it has kind of a sentimental sort of attachment for me. Um, and I didn't see a big firework display, I think, until I was 15 or 16 when the city of London had some big, uh, big, big display. Um, the big displays to me, I, I don't know, maybe it was my background, but the big displays didn't mean a lot to me. And, and, and I did think um, that the, uh, when they came on, they were kind of like they they had a sort of remoteness. They were beautiful in some respects to look at. But I, I remember being with somebody who was really concerned about what was falling down. And, uh, you know, after it sort of faded. And so that was a concern for me. But this new thing about thinking about how people who come back from fighting wars are dealing with it. I mean, I, I can quite understand that I'd want to be way away from it. So it's become a very complex issue, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, though. I, and I, it, I think it's interesting that Tro Troy, what was his name? Patterson. Troy, Troy Patterson said the thing about it's always the same. Mm. Um, and it's true. You know, there's those ones with the like the, the gold fingers with the purple stars at the Love end those. and then the green. And, <laughs> you know, and it is the same thing. But my, you know, so it's interesting how you can look at the same thing and say, yeah, it's the same old thing. And but that's part of what makes it beautiful as opposed to that's part of what makes it annoying. Um, and I would say that, yeah, I have a very uh, a low tolerance for um, 
jingoism and Americanism. And when even at the World Cup, when people are saying USA, USA, I feel sort of alienated. But for me, too, the, those memories of being like those are like one, some of the special memories of lying out on the on the blanket and watching mm -hmm. them and seeing them or going to New York and seeing the display over the Hudson. You and still say, wow, like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I like that one. And it's so short. It lasts. So it's so innocent that it's hard to it's hard to criticize. It's you know, it's funny you should say that thing about USA because I, I'm always terribly uncomfortable uh, in, in much the way that you describe with that kind of stuff. And uh, and on Tuesday or whenever it was at the half door. For the first time in my life, I went U.S. Oh, wow. <laughs> I dared to do that, uh, and it sort of flowed spontaneously. I was uh, that caught up in, in, in U.S. soccer. Uh, you know, uh, fireworks, it really is interesting. And this, these two pieces, well, the one by the veteran and the one by Troy Patterson, they, they did get me thinking. I, I, I think a lot of people do put fireworks in the same category. They put pizza and sex. Well, the whole idea that e even the bad kind is still pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and I, I sort of don't agree about that. I actually think I've seen wonderful fireworks displays, really beautifully done. Um, oddly enough, uh, in old Seabrook uh, for many years, Arnold Chase would put on his own fireworks, uh, and they became the town's fireworks, and they were breathtaking, and they were uh, beautifully coordinated with music, and, and just, you know, you really could sort of see some real artistry to them. Um, but I think there's sort of fireworks inflation these days. I think, first of all, there's fireworks all the time. They're not just on the 4th of July anymore. Uh, you know, towns and cities and, and groups, they seize almost any excuse but to what have about, fireworks. what about people having them? In my neighborhood, I've been hearing them go off yeah, in I West live Hartford that. forever. <laughs> and I have a very high startle reflex, so mm -hmm. when every time I hear it, I think it's a gunshot. Yeah. Oh, my neighbor does a great show, and we all bring our chairs and watch it. So. See, everybody's got uh, something yeah, they love. Yeah. And, and, and uh, my, anyway, my heart does go out to veterans who are freaked out by it. I would also, uh, that same veteran uh, has uh, uh, an, has somebody else who's freaked out by it, and that's a dog. Dogs often are really, really afraid of fireworks. Oh, yeah. So it is complicated. I, I think, you know, a little goes a long way. I'd love to see fewer fireworks. I'd like to see them confined maybe, you know, to a period of a day or two. I don't think they need to ha happen for first night and for every other. I mean, I really am astonished at the number of excuses that are now seized upon for fireworks. They're probably not very good for the environment uh, and, uh, you know. But on the other hand, there's a place for them. You know, there's, 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 there's a place. All right. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back with endorsements. And let it shine just on the night like the fourth of July. Cause baby, you're a firework. Come on, show In lieu of fireworks, tonight we give you the East Hartford men's rhythmic gymnastic team with their salute to independence. Come on, people, give this a chance. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Josh Nalea and Katie Pikus. Greg Hill appeared in our intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jay-Z. For show pages, articles, and the Faith Middleton Show staff's dance video of Drunk in Love, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, we revisit our conversation about little people. And now, back to Colin. I think also Allison Ehrenreich is in here. I think I saw her on the bill. We have the, one of the most amazing uh, classes of interns this year that we've had in a long time. They're all very exciting people who have uh, you know, lots of fascinating contributions. And we're doing a lot of shows based on their ideas. And so it's been really fun. All right, it's time for endorsements. Uh, Elizabeth, you can go first. 
My first one I'm co-opting from James, which is a, a what looks like a light comedy mockumentary at uh, Cine Studio tonight at 730. It's called Birthday Cake. It's a, a same-sex married couple, and they uh, let a camera crew follow them around for their uh, daughter's uh first birthday and but you know hilarity ensues sounds just adorable can and, i can i piggyback something onto that sure um i just watched uh, two nights ago uh, the documentary the case against eight which is about ted olson and david boys and, and it's a documentary uh about the battle against proposition eight um which i sort of had on kind of for background i was doing some other stuff and i was completely absorbed into this thing at the end when the two couples who are the plaintiffs in the case uh, actually do get married spoiler um, uh, at one at uh, Los Angeles City Hall, the other in San Francisco City Hall. I was we- I was weeping buckets, copiously Aww. weeping buckets. The, the whole thing is just an amazing story. The partnership between Boys and Olson, two very unlikely collaborators, is also brilliantly told. All right, sorry for interrupting, but it just fit in there. And you're supposed to say spoiler before you say the right. spoiler. Anyway, and the second thing is um, for a summer, a wonderful summer thing is take a drive out to northwestern Connecticut if you haven't. Um, I just was out there yesterday out in Bantam area, Arethusa Dairy Farm, the creamery and wine bar in, they say it's Litchfield, but I would technically more think of that as Bantam, which I guess is a part of Litchfield. Mm -hmm. Also go out to the Hopkins Inn in the Hopkins Vineyard, um, sit out on the Hopkins Inn big patio and have dinner looking over Lake Warmog. Just couldn't be prettier out there. All right. James. Uh, I'm going to endorse a vegetable, um, Kalaloo, which I've been waiting for. I've been away and uh, at the stores farm market. Um, outside Town Hall in Mansfield. Um, ask uh, Brian and Anita if they have the Callaloo ready. I'm hoping they do this week, but uh, the market is at 3 o'clock, 3 to 6 o'clock on uh, the green in Mansfield. What does that look uh, like? What, what is, is a Callaloo? Callaloo? Ah, well, you, now you ask. Callaloo uh, <laughs> is a kind of amaranth. It's a bit like, tastes a bit like spinach, but much tastier. And it's this wonderful, you just saute it. It's very easy. You can even use it in a salad if you want. But uh, it's very popular in Jamaica, which is where I first tasted it. But Brian and Anita uh, come uh, with all their wonderful vegetables to um, the uh, store's farm market every Saturday uh, at 3 o'clock. They have been growing it. They've been getting more and more people interested. It's an amazing vegetable. You really love it. All right. Any, anything else? Oh, yes, yeah. uh, at the Beatles. <laughs> a Hard Day's Night <laughs> at City Studio starts on uh, Friday and runs for a week. It's an incredible restoration, really amazing. Richard Lester. Wow. You can't go wrong, wrong with Richard Lester. Oh, God, I remember that movie from so long ago. But anyway, uh, yeah, I want to endorse, um, I have to endorse watching the World Cup as a nonpartisan um, viewer. And for all the reasons that are the opposite of what Ann Coulter said, I mean, she says nothing happens. It's in, I feel like I'm watching a thriller in terms of its relationship to my adrenaline and my body and what's going to happen even when it's zero zero and it goes back and forth and the goalies are amazing and you watch them and you watch the you know she says it's foreign and yes yes it's it's international and that's what makes it good you know and there's all these 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 dramas and you learn about the countries because you know the players aren't you know they have to have an actual real con- connection to the co- the country that they're playing from and it's so multicultural and interesting and lots the most of cute beautiful guys men in the world yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there's lots of c- good games coming up that don't involve the United States but they're really interesting 
I endorse that endorsement. Uh, all right, I've got a few little things here. Um, this isn't exactly beach reading, but it sort of is. Last Saturday, I, I blew off a whole bunch of commitments because I just – or things that I really should have done anyway because I had to finish the third book in the last Policeman series. Uh, this is a, by an author named Ben H. Winters. We've had him on the show. He had only completed two of these three books. Uh, the, the premise basically is that an asteroid uh, is coming to from space to obliterate Earth. It is going to wipe out all life on Earth. And it's handled very, very seriously. He has done the science on this immaculately, we discovered in doing a show with him. But there's one guy, a young man named Henry Pallas, who's a former detective in the Concord Police Department, which doesn't exist anymore because society pretty much broke down. Now that everybody realized they were going to die, people stopped doing all the things that held civilization together. But he can't stop. He sort of believes so much in in order and in justice uh, that he is going to be a detective right to the last minute. So anyway, I just... uh, um, It's not exactly a beach reading. No, it's not exactly a beach reading. (laughs) Except that it's wonderful. And it it is actually is... Waiting for the tsunami. It is. I mean, it leaves you in a very terrible place. But uh, it's also, it's oddly inspiring at times, and it's also very funny. So uh, I say uh, I do endorse it, and you can bring it to the beach. I don't think it'll. So there's three of them, and, and you can there's get. There's no love triangle. Right. Get there. started now. The last policeman is the first one. The second one is uh, Countdown City, and the, the final one is called World of Trouble. I'm not even sure it's available yet. When you do order it, you, you know, look for, get it from an independent bookstore if you possibly. There's something called Indie Bound, I think, where you can order stuff uh, from independent bookstores and even type in your zip code and, and get the name of the nearest independent bookstore, except I did that today and I got a place in South Carolina, which is disturbing. But anyway, um, and a couple of musical things uh, for Fourth of July. Uh, listen to the cover of the song Fourth of July, which was a Hall & Oates song, uh, but listen to the cover that's done by Bird and the Bee. Bird and the Bee are great anyway. It's Inara a, a George, the uh, daughter of Lowell George, and, and but a lovely cover of Hall & Oates' The Fourth of July. And then we always end the show with uh, Grayson Hughes singing. Uh, Grayson Hughes and singer Polly Messer are in a very exciting venue, a place that we're going to do something with very soon at 45 Bleecker Street uh, in uh, in New York City. Uh, on Thursday uh, of next week, Thursday, July 10th uh, at 8 p.m., Grayson Hugh and Polly Messer will be performing at Subculture Arts Underground. This is started by uh, people from Hartford. Uh, Mark Kaplan and his brother started this. It is the hottest music venue in New York right now. Uh, Grayson and Polly are going to be there on Thursday. We're going to do a show from there. I've already talked to the Kaplans about this. We're going to do. Uh, we're going to move our show to New York for the first time. Uh, it's all a matter of just working out logistics and scheduling, but it's a very exciting place to go, and we're very excited for Grayson and that he's there. Oh, Greg, when I'm with you, I feel like fireworks. I love... You don't love me. That's actual fireworks. I wasn't going to say I love you. I was going to say I left the stove on. Awkward.